Welcome to another episode of Health Creators. This is Liv, and I'm joined here today by Dave Stapleton, founder and CEO of Bua Fit. So, Dave, uh, tell me about Bua and um, how how you really got started um, building out Bua. Yeah, of course. So Bua is a marketplace fitness and wellness technology. What we do is we connect fitness professionals to consumers for group classes outdoors and online. Um, how I got started, I've just been into fitness and wellness from a very young age. I play sports um, as a kid, a lot of outdoor sports. And um, it just came from solving a problem for myself one time. I was looking for something different outside of exercising in, in your typical gym. Went to look for outdoor classes, couldn't find any. And um, I kind of uh, had an idea around that. But then uh, a little bit of time later, I, I was having a conversation with a friend over a beer and uh, he was telling me how difficult it was to be a fitness trainer in the London market. They get charged extortionate rents, um, get very little help with sales or marketing and are kind of capped at their earnings. So the idea was born from then and I just kind of knew that I was the one to um, make it work and I started bootstrapping the business and it all went from there. And how long ago did you start Bua? So I started connecting fitness professionals to consumers in WhatsApp groups August 2017. Um, and then I started, so I started to solve the problem manually without a minimal viable product in the market. Uh, then we moved on to Eventbrite, found my co-founder, and we launched the MVP from Google Campus um, June 2019. Uh, raised a little bit of money then, kind of uh, January 2020, and then uh, the original DNA, the business of focusing on the outdoor market was completely shut. So that was quite a stressful time, and um, that's when we launched the online model. We had, mm. had it launched in like 72 hours or something like that. I feel like you did everything right though. Like reading like the lean startup and all of this, like I think you you really followed every step. Was this your first startup? I, I, I built a tech platform with two friends when I was 19. Uh, we were solving the problem in the seasonal market, in the Christmas market, and then um, I was heavily involved around scaling that. Um, so, but yeah, I've always been doing things like making money, like myself doing like little projects. I worked in the family business from a very young age. My father had a, a very successful uh, wholesale business that he sold into retailers in the Irish market. But I think going back to your question uh, or your point, I kind of, because I was a first time um, technology marketplace founder, I just wanted to go, my strategy from day one has been kind of slow, sustainable, uh, using my capital and my risk until I got to a point of, okay, I'm actually really onto something here. So yeah, definitely a slower trajectory than, than other kind of founders and, and businesses. Yeah, but more sustainable probably. Yeah, well, when, when we were raising uh, back in 2019-20, like slow sustainable wasn't 
it wasn't it, it was not cool um but yeah now how times have changed like like we've a really low we've had a really low monthly spend in the market since we've launched and like last year we 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 turned profit in a, in a good few months so um but the caveat of that is and and the kind of disadvantage of that is is the amount of problems you need to solve and when you re when you're running things too leanly it's hard to solve them because uh, yeah. capital is is obviously a great solution for that and, and when you first start building out a platform business model people often talk about a critical mass um, and it seems like usually what founders do is raise a lot of capital to hit that critical mass and how did you essentially reach that point of growth without without raising in the beginning yeah a couple of ways so firstly when you look at bua um it looks very you know you know consumer which it is we're solving a problem for the consumer they can find book and pay into a variety of outdoor and online classes in a couple of clicks so if you if you google outdoor fitness london we're the first company on the first page with no ad sign so by us having a presence there um after nine months google pushed us to the top so it shows that um, the consumer were looking for solutions and couldn't kind of find any or it took them a very hard time so um like we're, we're doing uh, we hit a bit of critical mass um in the infancy stages of our journey um, just by solving the problem um having good fitness partners on board as well and um, because our b2b to c angle is our ticket to scale so bringing in good trainers leads to a high volume of consumers coming in um and now we're kind of evolving to being like a three-sided marketplace because we've figured out what our flywheel is we bring in corporate accounts and that leads to uh, more signups, more trainers coming to the platform, and um, I suppose better gross margins as well. And um, I think we have spoken about this before, but um, it is harder to, it's basically hard to get both sides of the market, right? You always have this chicken and egg problem. So how how did you go about resolving that? And what was like the first signs of, of this being an issue in the beginning? Yeah. yeah, so I think first step was really immerse yourself into the market, look at the job to be done. Like how are the customers being consumers and trainers solving this problem for themselves currently? Uh, and when I went out to the field, I come from a marketing research background, so I was playing to my, my strengths in some way. Um, so when I went out into the field, I really learned that it was a harder problem to solve for the supply side of our business, being the fitness professional. Uh, they're usually one-man businesses. They don't have money for marketing. They don't have money for tech. They're not investable. So if we're to help them first, um, it's a harder problem to solve. So that's kind of the basic theory behind a marketplace uh, is solve the, the hardest problem first. So we started to bring on uh, suppliers. The biggest mistake we actually made at the start was I actioned advice. We were kind of 
advised to small with a launch with a really small cohort of supply that actually ended up being a mistake. We should have launched with our um, a wider range, um, but just kind of kept it narrow in terms of geographics. Um, so that kind of led to then bringing the consumers in because if there's no trainers there to facilitate classes, we can't solve the problem for the consumer. So the consumer problem that we solve is, you know, not only can they find a solution for outdoor classes, but if you're to go deeper into psychology of why people exercise and, and the options they have, if you look at a gym solution or a studio solution um, or training outdoors by yourself, um, there's a lot of problems there with the gym, particularly for women, it's quite intimidating, that kind of like mirror environment. Um, there can be a lot of egos um, and then it's really hard to book into indoor classes um, in groups because the space is limited as well. Um, so yeah, like in terms of hitting that kind of um, problem solving on both sides, it kind of, they kind of, it kind of blends together uh, in a way. <clears throat> I like that solving the hardest problem first bit. I actually went to watch the playlist after you recommended it. Oh yeah, yeah, it's great, yeah. isn't it? Um, and I think what really stuck with me was the was like the urgent need, I guess, like the the macro environment of of hey, we really need a solution for listening to music right now. Yeah. Um, I wonder if you had that with Bua, where it was like like there is like a definite pain. Um, where you can physically see people struggling because of this, yeah. Yeah, of course, like firstly on the supply side, um, trainers are failing like, like, like at a really high rate and they still are. So that's quite painful. Like when you see, like the, going back to the beer I had with my mate, like how overwhelmed and stressed he was and kind of disappointed he was and, that really hit a note with me because I was like, hold on a second, this guy's passion is in teaching people and educating people to live a happier and healthier lifestyle. It's not actually by mechanically building a business, yeah. you know, and that's, they're self-employed, that's how they, they need to be successful. Or they trade their time where they don't have to pay rent, but they'll have to service a gym or a studio for 15 hours of free, free time or whatever. Um, and then that on the consumer side, you know, we're in the business of, of helping people be stronger mentally and, 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 and physically. So if you see people that are struggling uh, through normal life challenges, um, if you look at outdoor fitness, it's the healthiest channel in the world to exercise in. It's better, um, you get exposure to vitamin D, even if it's cloudy, um, you have a, a, a better calorie burn, um, it lowers your blood pressure, the list goes on, it's endless, and the endorphin that you feel post um, exercise outdoors compared to indoors is actually... It's, it's yeah it's far greater and like there's no argument behind it there's this has been a b tested by by a number of people and it's just a different feeling I, like i think if you can relate to going back to when you were a kid in school like everyone played some kind of sport or pe outdoors like if you can remember how that kind of made you felt even if you it wasn't your thing you always felt 
good in yourself, you know? So that kind of, if you bring that side of it into putting a cool location with an awesome fitness instructor, it's, it's quite a compelling solution. <clears throat> um, is there, do you see a difference between um, volume of bookings, let's say in the summer and winter? Yeah, there's definitely a drop off in, in the winter in London, but the plan is, the ambitions are to be uh, a global brand. Uh, you know, myself and Brian, my business partner, we're already targeting the non-seasonal based cities. We're um, getting dark early or it being really cold where you have a drop off um, isn't an issue. The main issue in the UK is, 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 is really the people not from the UK. Because if you think about it, right? Everyone is used to their own climate. So the, the customers that are training outdoors this morning are pretty much 99.9% .9 British people. Mm. Uh, so it's more like Mary coming in, uh, living in London, who, who is from LA. You know, she's not booking into an outdoor class. Um, and then some of our partners um, use different solutions like uh, find locations with shelter, um, and even like the, the long the long term journey is is the technology we have a vision that will eventually help um, for solutions in the in the indoor market as well. We're already testing that. There's been a couple of um, partners that have used it for like community centres, but mainly the light is the problem over and above the weather. Um, oh, like it's too dark. To it's more yeah, it's more the dark because if you think about it, if you warm up and you're wearing the right clothing. I mean, you're taking your jacket off eventually, you know, because you're yeah. there to train and work out. A couple of categories don't work great, like like yoga wouldn't be amazing in the winter months and stuff like that outdoors. But uh, there's a big enough market globally to not having to worry about the seasons, you know. That's cool. And being um, a health tech founder in fitness, how has that shaped your journey of being a founder? Um, because I know that you are very um, um, conscientious about your health, but was that always the case? And how do you enforce that in yourself and in the team? Yeah, so it's always, it's like anyone that's listening that knows me knows that. <laughs> I I use the word, I'm obsessed with, with, with exercise and, and working out. It, it's a full-on addiction. It has been from a very young age. Um, I'm very naturally competitive by nature as well. So, um, But I think I don't, I, I'm more so exercise ever since I've come into the whole startup world and you know the challenges that we face, the, yeah. the obstacles we're trying to jump. Um, it, it's definitely... Um, a huge shift in the last six, seven years that it, it's more so for the, the, the mental aspects of it. Um, like I do train intensely, but some sessions I wouldn't, you know, some sessions it would be lighter. Uh, and I mix it up from everything from lifting weights to skipping to going for runs outdoors to even hiking. Um, but it's actually a really important component of um, living and breeding the brand. And I, we learned this from mistakes. We had a couple of hires that didn't work out um, due to a number of reasons. But one thing that, that stuck out between many is, you know, working in a startup is hard. And if you're not looking after 
yourself and taking time out to exercise, that just has a compounding effect um, because if you're not exercising, your diet isn't great. If your diet's not great, you're not sleeping great. You're not sleeping great. Well, then you're coming into work tired um, and yeah it's so like particularly with the first or like early recruits it's definitely an ingredient that that we need to make sure that our team members are looking after um themselves and if they struggle to do so we try and put things in place we obviously let them use the platform and we encourage them um, to pick a solution that works for them and we'll, we'll actually cover the cost and stuff like that, so. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, we've done that. We've, we've proposed that idea to a good few um, of the team members, yeah. I, I always saw it as almost like the Shopify for personal trainers. Mm. Yeah. Mm. yeah, for sure, like, and we're bringing into, like we definitely launched that way, but we're, we're now moved into like wellness, you know, we're doing, and that's why we refer to them as fitness partners now, because we've got people that can ex execute amazing uh, seminars from nutrition to mental health journaling, to tapping, to sound baths. And uh, then we have a whole fun fitness category. So we're definitely becoming a quite a rounded uh, platform in terms of offerings, which keeps the consumer happy. Yeah. And then if we approach a corporate, um, they, the amount of time and money we can save them because they have one relationship, one contract with a suite of a number of solutions, which they don't need to keep onboarding new vendors and doing compliance and due diligence and all of that stuff. So it works quite well that way by widening the the, the offering. Yeah, so basically like class pass, but you enable individuals rather than just corporations to, to market their classes. That's exactly it. Yeah, we're, they're very focused on working with kind of brands in bricks and mortar, you know. Uh, but they do, they do have a, an, an, a, they do have outdoor classes there, which is a great signal for us, right? You know, yeah. they're obviously the leaders with mind body and uh, to see them have a category of what we specialize in, I think is, is, is great and exciting. Yeah. yeah. Um, where, where do you see BUA slash Centred going in the next year or two? Yeah, so we're just um, closing off a, a funding round right now. So uh, that's challenging, but also very exciting in this market. Um, over the next year, we would like to have some kind of presence in the US on a very small basis. Um, we're really focusing on the B2B angle um, because we have, we figured out how to hit volume to a certain extent with very little marketing spend on the consumer side and we know how to make the market place work with connectivity, like in terms of connecting it to supply. So it's really a case of on the Boa brand side, uh, getting in more amazing fitness partner, fitness and wellness partnerships, working on building um, wellness programs into corporate companies, corporates and companies, and uh, then working with Centred on our integration there and helping them uh, close uh, B2B contracts as well. They do a lot of, um, white labeling the tech. So like working with 
mainly kind of in the early, in the earlier stages like travel companies that um, have a consumer arm and need a wellness solution so working with them on, on, on that and most importantly building the team we've gotten to the state we've gotten to this stage with a very small lean team and you know it's really about sm finding um, really smart people and fun people to work with that can get behind the brands and just help us get it all to the next level so team funding and growth <laughs> yeah, I guess there's only so much you can do yourself right oh yeah yeah, yeah for sure yeah and like I still love that bit of it, but you just know that those days eventually have to come to an end if you're trying to hit the, yeah. the level of scale you're wanting. Like right now, like I still love speaking to the customers every day. I still love managing accounts on the corporate side, doing sales, creating content. I love just every aspect of the business, but um, I think you can probably vouch for it. Like. I'm just kind of like a generalist in most yeah. areas and we just need experts in every area in order to mm. hit the level of success we we're, 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 uh, want to achieve. Well, what do you think is your, your kind of plan in terms of hiring? I know that's such a loaded question, but I'm guessing like there are a lot of lessons learned from the last five, six years. And... Um, I wonder after the round how you're going to apply that in, in terms of growing out um, this new configuration of the team. Yeah, so so uh, there's been a couple of founders that have tried exactly what I've done and failed, and mm -hmm. particularly in the US. And the reason why it's important to raise that point is uh, biased of me to say, but I have the knowledge on how to get a outdoor group fitness marketplace to a certain yeah. level which is the level we are today so the plan is is that i bring that knowledge and go back and forth over to the us the weakness in our team is consumer and um, so um bringing someone in there um building out our sales team so our strategy is very much so being kind of organic and kind of trying like to top down basically pretty much yeah. like we still don't have the resources to be pulling in uh, recruiters and stuff like that um, and the, the brand generally has genuinely has been attracting bit much bigger brands from day one you know like our corporate accounts our household names uh, we've done great partnerships with a number of brands so and that seems to be happening with um, recruitment as well we and just when when you're looking at hiring how important is it that the person is similar to you um, and I feel like this is controversial because I, I have some founders who say like in the early stages, you should not bring anyone on who's very different to you because it causes like friction and, and time lag in decision making. Um, and then others who say the complete opposite of like you need an opposite person to to balance you. Yeah, it's a really, really good debate, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Um I think the most important thing for us, just making it about us for a second, is actual, the experience of building something. It doesn't need to be necessarily a successful startup. Um, it can be very much so a failed startup. It can be something of building, like from an entrepreneur-like perspective. 
or entrepreneurial perspective to even like just doing something like what I did in college, like spotting an opportunity, uh, putting a solution in the market and generating customers and revenue. Anyone that's taken that process knows how hard it is. And I think that's the most important thing for us um, because we've taken people in from big companies and they think they know what it's like, but there's no hiding, right? And it's when you're when you get behind the hood of an early stage startup with no experience, it's a huge shock to the system. So I think that is our kind of number one yeah. uh, call to action at, at senior, right? Like you're looking out to build our kind of new business sales sales team. There's exceptions there. I don't mean it for like the more junior roles, but definitely for someone that's helping build the team out, you know? I see that like experience in a pre-product market fit versus post-product market fit situation, um, super important. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that might be the issue with a lot of like uh, maybe larger corporate people who want to join startups is that they understand how a business works from a post-product market fit perspective. And then joining a pre-product market fit company is like beyond imagination. Big time, yeah. And I think it's even other things to look at, like just simple things like the right attitude, you know? Uh, you could have a, an amazing um, talent that's super smart, but if the attitude isn't right and that's not translated into the startup environment of what's needed to push forward, uh, the likelihood of success is slim. And then I think integrity as well is another big piece that's really important. But how do you measure like attitude and integrity? Like yeah, like one, a couple of things that we've done, um, whether right or wrong, but like not ideal. Like, but we've had like quite long recruitment processes where you're really getting to understand and learn more about the particular candidate um, and if there's a huge level of frustration with that you know like there's I think there's not a real core understanding of actually the size of the business and the resources that we have and um, it's a difficult one to measure but I think just to answer it in a sentence like the more time spent with the individual candidate the quicker you can kind of see the signs for signals for success or, or red flags you know um, I like the weekend test as well like you know, it's just like simple like would you go away for a weekend with this person or would you invite them to your house for dinner or you know just like that level of um just spending more time with people outside of just the intensity of day-to-day -day work so yeah it's a tough one it's a really hard one to get right i think <laughs> as a first-time founder anyway <laughs> yeah yeah i've definitely seen that i think i'm just turning to now like looking at people who I already know or have known for a long time or have worked with before. And I feel like that's a somewhat safer option, but not very scalable because it's not like you've worked well. You can only work with so many people in your 
lifetime before founding a company. For sure, no, big time, yeah. That, and that's a great point as well, spending as much time with, with founders as possible, right? I think um, ahead of you, behind you, it, it does really, I, I just I find I learn a lot. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess the context is our, our CEO group. Yeah, 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 which is fun, right? I love how vulnerable we are in there. Holy shit, this is just after happening. What would you do? <laughs> yeah, it's great. And I think that's a really important piece to help and solve problems faster. Like, we've had some challenges, which was inevitable, right? It was, we're never not going to be able to make this work without any kind of big challenges. And I'm on my last two to three calls, but before I send out a, a report, I'm touching base with everyone on, on, on the cap table over, over a certain level of investment and just sharing it with them, you know? Just be like, this is what's going really well. This is what's going really shit. And these are, these are some challenges. And people just have that level of respect for you then where you're just like open and vulnerable and then people help you then, right? You know? Um, I don't see that in a, in a lot of founders. I see a lot of founders like, Guards up, like keeping information. Alex, I sign an NDA for me to share my pitch deck with you. It's like, what is that about? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Or just even like, like companies at seed stage, like for for people to say that it's all, it's just going great, like is not true, right? Because it's like it is. Yeah, there's parts of it that's going great, but there's parts of it that are terrible. terrible. <laughs> You know, like, so yeah, like our board as well, like we've got a really small, small team, like they, they know our deepest, darkest startup secrets, you know, because if I don't share it with them, then I'm um, less likelihood of getting them solved quicker. Yeah. So I think it's an important skill to have, or is that a skill? I don't know if that's even a skill, is it? <laughs> but over communicating. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I think it's important as well. And like, I feel like in the beginning, um, when people start a startup, they're so concerned about like competitors and people mm -hmm. stealing your ideas. Mm -hmm. But um, I guess I've learned just to overshare mm -hmm. because even if someone steals an idea from you and you're pre-product market fit, it's like, what are they really stealing? Like, yeah you can take my pre-product market fit idea and try to run with it, but you are going to impose a huge risk on yourself by doing that. Yeah. Big, big time, yeah. Uh, like I genuinely, like I've never, I do, there's too much to focus, there's too much to get right and there's too much to get wrong. So th just the focus is key, like just the focus on what you're doing, your mission, your customers, like if someone was to completely carbon copy what we do and launch tomorrow, wish them the best of luck because <laughs> we're always going to be, we're trading in the market since June 2019. So we have all of this information and data for them to catch up. It will be, it'll be quite hard, you know? Um, so yeah, I've never really been bothered by that. Yeah. And I guess it's even better now in terms of if you did have a competitor, 
the last thing they would do right now is probably like try to steal your idea. I feel like right now you win by just like surviving. But, yeah. <laughs> in this big, market. Big yeah. time. Yeah. Like yeah. a very simple, it's very simple, but I mean, I've said it to a few people and they're like, yeah, that must make a lot of sense. But like first rule, like but you can overcomplicate business, right? But, and it's like whatever you like my first rule of business is to just stay in business and just like if you ever get like massive challenges and problems like stepping away from the day to day and slowing down and making some sacrifices on um let's say whether it's marketing campaigns or sales and just living and breeding that challenge and problem i really think that that level of focus helps solve the biggest challenges where i think like when you get those really big ones and you're very distracted around things that are important but not necessarily that important in that present day week or month um a funding round is a good example right you get to a point of a funding round where you got to be like at one stage 200 percent in because if you're not and you don't close it well then what's the outcome yeah i see what you mean so like uh, I guess as founders, we're always juggling like a thousand plates. Yeah. And sometimes when you feel like things are very difficult, what you should do is clear like Everything. the plates, clear yeah. the plates and just look at the hardest thing to solve and just yeah. focus on that. Exactly. Yeah. A hundred percent. It's, uh, and I've got so many examples or whatever, but yeah, you, we do, you do come across some really big ones, right? Uh, mm-hmm. like, 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 challenges that are proper written on a piece like a failing moment here like if this is not solved so and i think there's a there's a skill in identifying that and because the quicker it's identified the quicker it can just be solved and and um have you had like existential crises with the business where you're like i don't know if it's going to continue um because of xyz external factor and it might shut down. And how did you kind of push through that? Mm. So I think I've always had the mindset of um, whatever the challenge is, I'll never quit. Mm. Like I'll never, I'll just give it 120% to like solve this challenge. Have we had crises that could have followed the booth at 100%? I'll tell you one really quick one. <laughs> Um, it was when I was bootstrapping and financing and uh, my co-founder needed, we were, the runway was dwindling. We were like um, way behind schedule, like eight, nine months behind schedule. And um, I was just like, okay, this is where we're going to run out of money. We need to sort it out ASAP. So I got a developer in. And when I was going to help Sam, and then when I was going across to meet this developer, um, I had no money left. It was 17 pounds over my overdraft on my personal account. But my pipeline was, I was obviously lots of productivity in the pipeline. And I remember saying to myself, like, what's the point in going to meet this guy? I don't have the money to pay him, you know? So, but my, there was a good instinct. I was like, no, go to the meeting, persevere. Everything will be fine. It was that mindset of just don't quit, don't quit. 
I'm in the meeting and I was praying that he wasn't going to, I, I, no, I was praying that he wasn't going to even ask for a beer or I offered him food and a drink. I was like, please say no. <laughs> Cause he came in, he came in, came in from work and he goes, yeah, I'll actually have a burger and a beer. I was like, okay. And anyway, at the end of the meeting, I had this congratulations. I got at the end of the meeting, I got my first, um, support in terms of third third party funding oh and it was like it happened simultaneously it, it literally at the end oh. at the end of the meeting it was like and it was yeah. um it was uh it just came into my inbox and i was just like oh my god and it was kind of like i don't know i don't know but like if i had said no to going across to meet this guy yeah. we could have been toast you know i mightn't have gotten that email yeah. Do you know what I mean? But it was just more so the mindset of keep going, persevering through, and that email came through, and I got the the extra security of of, of months in the market. Nice. Yeah. It's kind of like planting seeds, I guess. Yeah. And sometimes yeah. they just randomly yeah. sprout. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And it wasn't for equity. It was just a, a, a little bit of debt, a little bit of loan, not big amount of money at all. But we got the job done, and it got us to launch, and then look, we're here today. Like, so loads of moments uh where you're like oh shit this could be it <laughs> yeah yeah so you you wrote it through there's still there's still a journey to go but um if you if you had to leave the world with one impact with bua what would that be so on on the consumer side I would like to have a big impact on um, making more people in the UK that are inactive, active right now. It's mm -hmm. one in three. People we, are active? Are, are completely inactive. Okay. So yeah. Um, like there's, yeah, the guts of just shy of 20 million people in the UK that just don't do anything. And it's because they don't find the preferable solution. I firmly believe that outdoor fitness in groups is a solution for those people because everyone's used to the outdoors it's way more pl uh, playful and it's just way less intimidating um so that would be it our long-term goal is is 200 classes per month on the platform um so help millions of people around the world um that were inactive become active, which has a massive impact on improving me mental health for people. On the supply side, um, my my goal is to uh, to actually like um, build a business um, that makes them financially very very successful. So yeah, that'd be it.